At the heart of primetime family reading is the imperative of taking direct action by having difficult conversations with your kids. After all, whether it is the daily news playing in the background or overheard adult conversations or even problematic playground banter, the kids are listening. And if 2020 has said anything loud and clear, it is that this country's longstanding systemic racism cannot be ignored. How do you talk about this? Today, we take a small step in that direction. And we do so in the company of Jacqueline Woodson's The Other Side, a book about two girls experiencing segregation in the Jim Crow South. We'll discuss why this story succeeds and how you can use it to discuss the prejudices that keep us apart. I'm Sarah DeBacher. Let's go beyond the bedtime story. Tell me again how the people tell their stories and who did what and where and when. Uh-huh. Mm. I'm joined again, as always, by tell Helen Taylor. Again. Hello. Freddie Evans. Hello. And Tom Wartenberg. Hello, Sarah. And today we are going to be talking about Jacqueline Woodson's book, The Other Side. So The Other Side by Jacqueline Woodson, published in 2001, is a wonderfully uh, illustrated picture book about two little girls called Annie and Clover. And it's about a summer that they spent basically staring at each other at first uh, from two sides of a fence, which divides the meadow in which they live. And they slowly become friends, even though they've been told by their mothers that they cannot cross the fence. They cannot go across to the other side. And so their solution is to sit on the fence. And the two girls sit on the fence from which they get uh, a different perspective of both sides of the fence. And ultimately, at the end of the story, they dream about what life might be like once this fence has come down. And of course, the illustrations reveal to us that Clover is black and Annie is white. And so this book is about the two different perspectives on this friendship, which is a prohibited friendship and the prospect for what the future might be like for both the black and the white community. So Tom, Tell us what you think is going on in this book. Thanks, Helen. The book is actually very interesting in terms of its depiction of racism. Now, you might think that because it focuses on a black girl and a white girl, that it's really trying to give us a picture of how racism works. But I actually think it's, it's got a more narrow focus than that. It's really talking about segregation and prejudice rather than racism more generally. And the mothers of each of the girls have prohibited them from crossing the fence. So the fence is a marker that separates the black girl from the white girl in this little community. And, you know, it's very interesting because the girls, there's not a lot of talk about their relationship to their mothers, but they basically don't want to violate the strictures that their mothers have placed on their relationship and yet they're really attracted to each other and curious about the other and so they initially come up with a sort of great compromise which is they can sit on top of the fence because no one says you can't sit on top of the fence you can't cross it 
but you can sit on it. And that gives them the chance to get to know one another. To me, it suggests that the author is wanting us to think about the fact that if people who, in terms of their society, are told not to be friendly with people of the other race, if they just get to know the other person, maybe things will be different. It's interesting in how it depicts segregated society and in its semi-hopefulness about the possibility of a world in which there won't be such fences anymore. And it's careful to suggest that it might not happen. Freddie, do you agree? Do you think this is a book about segregation and not racism? Yes, I do. And Tom said it so beautifully that it is a byproduct of racism. So it is about segregation and racism and that that's what it comes from. What's interesting about this book is that the fence, which was designed to be a barrier, actually becomes a bridge for the girls. And by sitting on it, they develop a different perspective. They see the world differently. I think it's Annie who says we can see all over. And that perspective changes them. And so their perspective changes not only them, the new perspective that is, but also the girls who are playing with them. Sandra and the other characters in the book, they then allow the two girls, Andy and Clover, to come and join them when they jump rope and when they play. So I think that it shows that change begins small. It begins personal. And then it can spread because of the humanity that they saw in each other and the, the commonalities that they saw, the wanting to be with each other, changed them and the world around them. And then I think Tom also talked about the resistance. In this book, the two girls found a way to resist those barriers that had been put up without being disobedient. So they said, our parents said, don't cross, but they said nothing about sitting on it. And so we can go that far. And if we just take the little change that we can make, the little risk, then that would make a big difference. One of the reasons why I love this book, and I think it's an important one, is that it features children finding their voice. And I think we maybe assume that children are incapable of thinking about race and racism, talking about race and racism, or understanding race and racism and its impacts on the human experience, when in fact they start to make inferences incredibly, incredibly early. And so a book like this that's really non-didactic and really pretty simple, but also so poignant, can really be a wonderful way of opening up that conversation safely, but also as an invitation and a reminder to kids that you have a voice. You should use it. When we were planning this uh, podcast, we were talking about how this book made us nervous, right? I think all of us were slightly uh, on edge for our discussing race with each other and having other people listen to us talking about race. And I think that nervousness is widespread, right? So teachers might think like, I don't want to raise this issue in the classroom. It's too hot for us to handle. But, you know, I think that's actually explains exactly why you should be discussing this issue and why this book is so important. Kids are having to deal with all sorts of instructions having to do with race on both sides of the racial divide. And 
you know, you have a young white girl living next to a young black girl. You say you can't play with each other. From their point of view, why not? She can jump rope. She can skip. You know, why can't we play together? And so I think, you know, it's really important for kids to be able to talk about these difficult topics. And I think that's one of the things that this whole series is trying to emphasize, that we need to find ways of addressing really difficult questions with children, not because we think it's good for them, but because they're already addressing them themselves. And without us to talk to them about them, they don't have the guidance that will make it a lot easier for them to understand the nature of what's happening in their world and their lives. I totally agree, Tom, because research shows that children, even in preschool years, see the difference, understand the difference, see what's going on. And we should address it. They see it in the media many times. They pick up things that are said, things that are done in stores, said in their houses, said when people are watching the TV. And uh, we really do need to address it for different reasons. But you had talked about that, the Black Child Clover. Her mother is protecting her in a way. Do you want to talk more about that? Surely. Even in the book, I've reread it this morning and the word safe kept coming in. You'll be safe if you stay here. So it is all about protecting the young girl. We don't know what will happen. Just It's not safe to go on the other side. When Clover looked out of the window at Annie playing in the puddles and she wanted to go outside and play in the rain, her mom said, no, it's safe and warm in here. <laughs> you know? So it's about the talk that we have to give to Black boys when they start driving, how to respond when the policeman stops you. It's that kind of protection or a shelter that we, we try as African-American mothers, parents, guardians, adults, try to just give to the children you know, keeping them protected as much as we can. And I want to say that the idea, the strategies that we've been discussing throughout the series in terms of using open-ended questions, using Socratic method, using non-didactic books to access insight with kids, uh, for me, it is so important when it comes to this particular subject, as the mother of two blue-eyed, toe-headed white boys I want to help them understand their privilege, but I also want to be able to do that in a way that is an invitation for them to understand how to use it and what it means to be anti-racist, but to do these things that doesn't result in their feeling any shame. And I think discomfort is one thing, and I think that, that that's something else we're advocating for here is having conversations that can be uncomfortable and sitting with that discomfort and doing so with a child and talking about I'm uncomfortable or, you know, being really honest and vulnerable. Um, and that ironically, or maybe paradoxically, we would think that that means that it's, it's somehow not a safe conversation because it's uncomfortable, but it, but it is safe. talked before about the difference between this book which is about children and the anthropomorphic books I mean last time we talked about the true story of the three little pigs and there we have two animals wolf and pigs who according to the traditions of fairy stories are antagonists and in that book we saw how the person who is telling the story can 
persuade and determine the readers to be on his side in this case. How do those things apply in this book? We don't have an antagonist. Uh, we don't have you know, the conventional good character, bad character. The story is told from the point of view of Clover, who is the black child. So does the fact that this is a book about two girls make it harder or less safe than when it's about animals? That's a really interesting question. I've often used a book called Tusk Tusk, which is about elephants. And basically, the black elephants and the white elephants don't like each other and get into a war, and the gray elephants go off and hide in the jungle while the other two kill each other. As we said before, these, these stories that use animals let you talk about human issues in a way that's a little distance and therefore may seem safer. In this book, that safety is not there, right? This is just about a girl, two girls, uh, one white, one black. And it is told from the point of view of the black girl which I think is important, but we're directly confronting the issue of why it is that they're not allowed to play with each other. And so we're directly confronting racial norms that are being enforced by their mothers, right? The fathers are absent, it's the mothers who are enforcing this. And in that sense, it, it makes the discussion of race much easier because it's right there. You can't avoid talking about race when you're dealing with this book. So I think, that's a real benefit to this book. And, you know, I, I think it really depends on the context. In some contexts, it might be really fraught to use this book in other contexts where it wouldn't be to use a book about different colored elephants because people would say, well, what's that really about? I don't think anyone would be able to say this is not a book about race. Freddie, you wanted to chime in. I think the use of animals to discuss racism or segregation hold value. But I think there's something special about people like this book uses because those girls can serve as models for other children reading the book. They can see, oh, well, they did it and uh, open up their playtime and play experiences for someone of a different race to come in. And we can do that too. When we're on the playground, we can invite somebody who's different, maybe not different in race, but maybe different in other kinds of ways to come and play with us. So I think that models that are shown in books that you know involve people as characters are very very important for that reason well speaking of models let's listen to um Chantrell and her son Myron and daughter Lauren talking about the other side what does the fence mean the fence is kind of like a wall between both races Annie and Clover want black people and white people to get along and make segregation illegal. What do you think about what Demiron said, Lauren? Well, I think that it means that they don't want them to get close, too close, but they got close anyways. Mm -hmm. But what's that about? Why wouldn't they want them to get close? Because during that time, black people and white people weren't really that friendly. They had to do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So that's why her mom didn't want her to go across the fence. It's so wonderful the way that Chantrell opens up that conversation with an open-ended question, right? And I think 
we can hear the results of that kind of invitation to have a conversation about a serious subject with her kids and how it results in their speaking complex and, and um, very true to them ideas. What else did you all hear there? I noticed that Damaran went straight for the, the metaphorical quality of the fence. I mean, he knew the fence isn't there by accident. And from that, you know, there could be a conversation about how writers construct objects in books to stand for other objects or for concepts. Right. Symbolism working when sometimes anthropomorphism may not. Let's go back and listen more to Chantrell talking with her children. Why do you think Clover's mom said, don't go near the fence, but Annie's mom said, just don't cross the fence? Probably because she wanted her to be safe. Very interesting. Uh, add on to what you were saying. Sure. Maybe the mother said, don't cross the fence because because she didn't know how the black mother thought about Annie coming over. Mm-hmm. And Clover's mom also didn't know how Annie's mom would think about Clover coming over. So they were both scared and they did what's best for their children. Mm. Who was more scared, the parents or the children? The parents. So when we think about this um, intergenerational conversations, right, the difference between the generations, but then also a caregiver, a grown-up, a parent having a conversation with a child about um, race and racism, about any of these the big ideas that we've been discussing over the course of the podcast. Let's talk a little bit about what to do with this particular book. What are some strategies that can lead to the rich conversations that we heard, um, you know, between Chantrell and Demiron and Lauren? Sarah, you already pointed out that one of the um, techniques that allows adults to have really good conversation with their children is asking open-ended questions, which Chantrell does very well. Just to be clear, what that means is you're asking a question that doesn't have a clear right or wrong answer. So you're inviting the children to talk about something that you you want it, you're asking their opinion, you're wanting to listen to their opinion, and that allows for the conversation to really flow. The adults, both in the story and in reality, know a lot more about the history of race relations in the United States than young kids do, so that we're in a different position than they are, but we really want them to think about these issues. And so what will sort of shut down a conversation is to sort of try to teach them something, like, it's not okay to have fences. But rather what you wanna do is get the kids to react and explain their reactions to the story and their understandings of what's going on, which Chantrell's kids do really well. And so um, I think the first thing to say is to really work on open-ended questions. It's really hard. We're not used to that. We're used to, we adults are used to sort of teaching kids, telling them stuff they don't know. And that's exactly what you're not doing uh, in this sort of a discussion. I think the second step is really listening and asking follow-up questions. So you really probe the way the child is thinking. As a parent, I was always aware that I should be listening much more than I was talking in these kinds of conversations. It is hard, 
but it's important work. And with that in mind, what are some open-ended questions that that a, a parent could ask to open up this book and open up the child's mind? Well, I mean, the first one would be, why do you think there was a fence between the two properties? And you can ask, why did you think the mothers, and in their different ways, because they're slightly different reactions, why do you think the mothers tell the children not to cross the fence? Do you think the children did something wrong when they sat on the fence? Those are all open-ended questions which lead to broader discussions about prejudice, segregation, racism. I'd like to ask uh, children if they think Clover and Annie are, are friends when they themselves have children. Are they still friends? What would that be like? I would like to know about perspective. Last week, we talked about the true story of the three little pigs mm -hmm. and the different perspectives. So in this story, we always heard Clover and we saw Clover's mother. And um, it was mainly from the perspective of the Black family. How would the story change if uh, the white family told the story, if Annie and her mother were the tellers? We've got one, one more um, exchange between Chantrell and her children to listen to. What happens next? Well, in part two, I imagine that they found a ball mm -hmm. and they was playing catch, mm -hmm. and then they accidentally knocked the ball into the gate, and then they just said, we're just going to have to take it down. Mm. The ball results in the destruction of this gate, the it fence. Was, it was kind of heavy. Well, as always, I am incredibly grateful to each and every one of you for your presence for interrogating how we can do this better, how we can be better beside one another. Thank you, Freddie. You're welcome, my pleasure. Thank you, Tom. I enjoy it. Thank you, Helen. It's been great. Join us next time for another episode of Little Voices, Big Ideas. This podcast is funded by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and is a partnership project between Primetime Family Reading a program of the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, and WWNO New Orleans.